with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mysteries of life. Today's episode is sponsored by Therese Couture, women's leadership coach and spiritual teacher, founder of Black Girls Breathe, and creator of the Circle of Reclamation course. You might remember Therese from episode 85 of the Numinous Podcast, where she told us a riveting story about the time she and her husband were racially profiled, and also talked about her strong connection to her family's Haitian lineage and her inheritance of intergenerational wisdom from a long line of healers. I'm happy to share more about her newest free program, Embodied Manifestation, later on in the show. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and today I'm all geeked up and excited about this conversation I had with Laura Tempest-Zakroff, author of Sigil Witchery, A Witch's Guide to Crafting Magic Symbols. Laura has actually written several books about witchcraft, including Weave the Liminal, Living Modern Traditional Witchcraft, and The New Aradia, A Witch's Handbook to Magical Resistance. She holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts from the Rhode Island School of Design and frequently speaks and performs at pagan conferences and witches' gatherings. And she leads sigil craft workshops, and that's the one I want to attend in person someday, because I loved this book, Sigil Witchery. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Laura about the magic of making your own sigils. Welcome, Laura. What identities do you lead with? I consider myself an artist, an author, a dancer, just a general human being. <laughs> um, I don't like to get caught up too much in labels because I find that's always something that's shifting and changing and often feeds into other people's idea of what I am versus how I see myself. Mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed your book, Sigil Witchery. A Witch's Guide to Crafting Magic Symbols. And I'm so excited to talk to you about it today because um, I have so many little post-it darts in my copy here. <laughs> so uh, tell us, what is sigil magic and what can you use it for? Uh, sigil is any symbol that has been uh, drawn, carved, painted, etched, uh, that is believed to have magical properties. So any symbol that believes to have magical properties. So combining those things together gives you, especially with sigil witchery, is the application of witchcraft, spellcraft, and sigils. So bringing those two things together. So where would people perhaps see sigils that they might not have recognized as sigils? I'm just curious if there's if they're around us all the time or, or if there's something that is kind of the purview of arcane knowledge and secret societies and that sort of thing. Uh, once you start getting into sigils, you do start seeing them everywhere. It's like, oh, look at that. What's that about? Uh, when you think about uh, logos, right, brands, those are part of identity. Those are uh, concepts that the, a company or business is trying to get across. So you can see even the golden arches, right, as a type of sigil. Uh, then you look at uh, money. Money often has different symbols, especially of the American dollar bill the pyramid and such, and uh, just kind of all around us using initials, um, having the little emblems that may be inverted on the towels, a sense of, of ownership is another way of looking at that. So they really are all around us. Mm-hmm. An interesting uh, difference and I, I guess modernization really of your approach is um, is 
sort of found between the difference between chaos magic and, and the way that you're doing it. So could you just explain how chaos magic handles sigils and how you have given that a, a, a twist or a different approach? Sure. So uh, the kind of quick and dirty look at, at chaos magic, how um, the most common sigil methods have evolved comes from Austin Osmond's fair. And he created many sigil methods, but one of the ones that became most popular for chaos magic is to craft a statement and then eliminate letters and rearrange the letters. And then from there, in some way, activate it uh, through, through burning, through um, other methods. Uh, kind of staring at it for a while. Staring <laughs> at it. Um, other ways of forming trance. Some of them involve like sexual acts. You know, it's like there's a whole range that people keep adding onto it. Uh, so. That's just one way, though he definitely created art kind of a little more similar to what I do. Uh, so for my method is an intuitive approach that uses the lines, the marks, the symbols that are important to you. And instead of making a clarified statement, you start off like you would with any spell, which is figure out what is it that you want to accomplish. And instead of just jumping to the next thing, which would be like, oh, I want money. I'll light a green candle. Uh, you know, like, okay, what, what does that mean to bring prosperity or what kind of money do I need? Am I going to a new job? You brainstorm. So that's step two is to look at the parts that make this up. And this is crucial because magic follows a path of least resistance. So if you just make a general statement, you're not really thinking deeply about how are you visualizing the end result? What are the, the, the means that are necessary to make that happen? And then step three is designing it, which is taking those words, those brainstorming ideas, and finding the symbols that work with them, even if they're just simple marks, lines, dots, and assembling them. And then technically, at the end of stage three, you're done. Mm. You know, that moment when you look at it and go, oh, that looks good. Mm. Uh, that's when your brain says, it has begun. Mm. But because we're human beings and we like ritual and we like pattern, there's step four, which is to apply and or acknowledge, which brings in the kind of more spellcraft witchery aspect, which is, so you're doing a sigil for cleansing to get rid of some emotional issue that you've been dealing with, then you might draw it onto your bar of soap. And every day, you know, you're washing with that concept and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to let this go. Um, and so there's this very physical process. So you don't have to burn it. You don't have to erase it. You don't have to stare at it. You definitely don't have to masturbate to it. <laughs> uh, and because it already started in your brain because all magic starts with thought. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exciting. And I actually, I love the soap one. And I'm, I'm thinking about, so my husband and I have a neighbor that I'm just going to say it, I consider quite loathsome. He's just like an archetypal misogynist. And, and it's just, it's such a terrible feeling. And my husband really like has a hard time letting it go when he's treated with this sort of contempt and I do you think it would still work if I put the sigil on the soap and my husband didn't know it was there but I just helped him cleanse well what's the chance of him using the soap in the bathroom too yeah oh yeah 100 this is this will be the shower soap it's like what if I put a secret like something that would soothe his heart I, I think that would work because if you think about honey spells, like honey jar spells, the idea that, you know, you might be sweetening someone else's disposition, 
uh, it more affects you, and then if you're the energy that you're putting out can also affect your husband, and then you're also both dealing with it. You're both conscious of the issue. So mm-hmm. it's many different layers there. So it can't hurt. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah, I like the idea of of framing it as it's a it's a honey spell. So your approach really emphasizes somatic attunement and and you have, you know, fairly extensive exercises about dropping into the body and being in the body when you're doing your sigil magic. Why is that so important to you and in your approach? I I find that for me, for witchcraft and for works of magic, it is a mind-body-spirit experience. And so many people are just so gung-ho to run off, you know, run off into trance and be outside of their heads and, um, and not really consciously be present. And that tie to the physical, like we are human beings, right? We're spiritual beings having a human experience. That, that's a, one of my favorite little ways of summing that up. So when you're in your body and you're connecting them, you can have a much more profound experience. You can make things move faster. And I am also a dancer. And to, to viscerally feel and see how you know, dancing with somebody and connecting with the music can help them you know, release energy um, to connect with other people. You know, so many things can be done that even with just drawing and still moving the body. To sit there and to draw and to find that there's another trance state that you can achieve that doesn't require any outside substances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to share a little bit about your own experiences with sensation when you're drawing and you're cre- crafting a sigil? What is the signal from your body that's the yes, like, yeah, it's complete, or yes, it has begun? What's it like for you? Uh, it's kind of hard to, to put in the words because I've been doing this now for you know, almost 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, so there's a sense of when you're working on a painting or a drawing, you know, there is a struggle. Is it done? Is it not done? But with the sigil, it's so much simpler. Mm-hmm. Uh, most often it's simpler. I mean, mm-hmm. really, if it's something you're going to use over and over again, you want to keep it as simple as possible. And so when you're starting to just look at it and you're creating the shapes, there's a sense of being satisfied, almost like when you just ate a good piece of cake and you, know, you didn't eat too much, <laughs> just right, and you go, oh, I feel good. You know, all of the senses are tingling in the right way, and um, this just feels like a sense of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. There's like a Goldilocks moment where <laughs> you realize, <laughs> right. <laughs> right, I've gone a little too far. Oh, no, come back. It's just right. Okay. And now a word for our sponsor. When Therese Couture first approached me to sponsor a podcast episode, my immediate reply was yes, because I know her to be an experienced breathwork facilitator, a talented coach, a natural intuitive, and a fearless and compassionate shadow work guide. When she told me the name of her program, Embodied Manifestation, my thought was, um, maybe? (laughs) I'll have to hear more first. Because for me... The word manifestation has been sort of tainted by what, by what I'd consider to be really voracious acquisition and harmful exploitation of the planet and spiritual materialism. I really don't want to endorse something that capitalizes on people's feelings of not enoughness or that doesn't contextualize people's privilege or lack of privilege and access within the systemic circumstances of capitalism and white supremacy and patriarchy and ableism and et cetera, et cetera. 
But after talking with Therese about the curriculum, I was reassured that she is addressing materialism. She is acknowledging systemic forces. She is recognizing the victim blaming that has tainted the practice of manifestation magic. What she described to me about the Embodied Manifestation Program reminded me of Adrienne Marie Brown's work with Emergent Strategy in terms of tapping into our creative power to imagine together and weave a new world that's concerned with the well-being for all of us. Embodied Manifestation is about rooting back into your soul, redevoting yourself to creativity, and activating ritual and practice that honor your intention to manifest goodness and grace for yourself, your people, and our planet. The first free Embodied Manifestation Workshop is happening Thursday, November 14th, with more throughout the end of 2019 and early 2020. Register and download your workbook at embodiedmanifestation.com backslash numinous. And now, back to our interview. Okay, so going through your book that you give um, some history, there's work on coming into the body, but you also really encourage folks to um, kind of get into the, I'm going to call it almost like the biomechanics or the neurobiology of it. And and you talk about how important it is to um, craft your sigil by hand. And, you know, I think maybe some of this could be a bit uh, intimidating for folks like myself who would say, I'm not artistic. I can't draw. I'm not very good at that. Could you talk to that a little bit? And, and what is actually happening neurophysiologically neurophysio- or what's, what is happening with the mind-body-spirit connection when you just try to do your sigil by hand? an exciting thing and there's a few different layers to that so within the the body itself right so when you you have a connection between your hand your eye and your mind uh and and particularly the process when they've done studies about students taking notes right students who just type their notes you know they're they're really just missing this essential processing point uh, because you can type faster than you can write and when you are writing, because you're going slower, you're listening and you're going, how do I break this down so I can make it smaller? And that little extra detour through your brain helps you remember. And it's almost like a recording device. I often tell people, think back, you know, if you come and look at your notes so a month from now, you're going to remember what the room was like, who was sitting next to you, maybe if there was a, a type of incense in the room. We can record. All of that, just like just like a, you know, a record needle, taking in all that information. Uh, so that is an incredible metaphysical experience. The other thing about drawing, we all draw. We all did it. Kindergarten, you know, making messy paints and you know finger things, and uh, you know, probably most people did draw all the way up until second, third grade, mm-hmm. and that was when society keeps you know starts doing this little well, what are you going to be when you grow up? And, well, you're just a bad drawer. Your bunny looks stupid. You shouldn't draw bunnies. And, and you know, especially for children, that's traumatic mm-hmm. to tell, you know, people, oh, you, you're doing it wrong, you know? And so, so many people stop drawing or they stop thinking that they're artistic. They stop thinking creatively because they go, oh, that's not for me. I can't do that. Where all people can draw. If you can sign your, you know, on, even on a tablet, if you can put your finger on there and make a squiggle on the tablet, 
you can use your your hands to draw, and it doesn't have to be. You don't have to be like Picasso. That's not really a great example. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be an incredible visual artist in order to make a sigil that's effective. If you can write your name, you can make a sigil. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. just practice. Everything that we do is practice, right? Even people are like, oh, I read the tarot, I read runes. Well, you didn't just pick them up and instantly know. You know some people are like, oh, well, I did. And you're like, no, you still learned the deck. You still did research into what the symbols mean and, and ask questions about that. So there's still a process. Um, so just like with drawing, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Mm-hmm. Well, and you actually give quite a few. Um, you give a whole alphabet, actually. You could almost say it's like a, a pictographic alphabet of like, here's some ideas for ways you can express simple concepts to more complex uh, words. But then you also have prompts where you're encouraging people to just practice. And um, some of these words are, are, are kind of, I'm going to say, you know, they're not very concrete. So, for mm-hmm. instance, the first one that you say practice with this word is acquire. And I'm like, what? I was feeling so good about this book. And <laughs> I'm curious, what, like, what, just brainstorming, acquire, what kind of shape would that look like? So what does it mean to acquire something? It means to take on or to build, uh, to accumulate. Mm-hmm. So a few different images that come to mind immediately would be like one of the greater than or less than signs, the chevron. Uh-huh. It's like a little, a little mouth, a little alligator, right? It is consuming, it is acquiring, it's gathering. Um, it could be a pyramid, which could be a little pile of things building up. Uh-huh. Or it could be a little group of dots accumulating uh-huh. to acquire that. It could also be a bowl. Yeah, I was just going to say, now that you're saying it, I have this sort of bowl that's like got an opening, you know, where mm-hmm. it, it's like embracing, like, it's like, oh, this is me kind of acquiring things are coming in through this little hole. Okay, so you, yeah, you've got a ton of those. And I found them really fun and frustrating. Because I was like, <laughs> you know, the, the perfectionist in me is like, is this right? So, so can we just practice with one? Because you do give a lot of examples of like, okay, so here's some intention and you're really dropping in and then you want to make sure that you've got a good energetic feel around it. And so my phrase or my quote unquote goal, it's not really a goal, but it's, um, I would say like, uh, almost like a pathfinding phrase is loyal to the land. And if I'm really sitting into what's my intention behind that, I'd say I want it to remind me where my priorities are. So I have all these words, you know, the the kind of first part of the process seems to be write down all your associations. So part of that would be, um, you know, I want to be loyal to the land that I live on as a white settler, you know, fifth generation, but I'm also of Scottish descent. I live in Canada, but I also feel loyal to where my you know, ancient indigenous ancestors came from. So now I'm getting kind of like out there and I'm like, what, how am I going to draw ancestors? I guess I could do a skull, but it becomes kind of pantomime at some point. Like, could you just kind of walk us through how would you help somebody kind of hold their hand with like an abstract phrase like that? Okay. So if you, if you're, so for loyal to lands, connection to land. So what is connection? Okay. Uh, 
And so immediately I think of either X marks the spot or a plus symbol. Mm. Um, Or you can look at simply as, well, actually a plus symbol is really good because you would have the horizontal line Mm. for the land. Yeah. And then the vertical line can represent the self. Right. Rooted into the land, right? So there's this cross section that happens there. Um, loyalty uh, for some people, that's a star. It could be a heart. Um, it's like, wh- how do you see loyalty? Um, you know, is that thriving? So if it's thriving, does that mean an arrow that's moving upward? Does it mean communication? Uh, an X comes back to that because technically an X is the two chevrons coming together. So it's about communication and give and take. Mm. Ancestors, if you look at a piece of paper as either um, up going up or down or um, left to right on it, um, so like when I do dance, I consider the space behind me is the place of the ancestors. So if I'm building a sigil, I might think of the bottom. Mm. Okay, the bottom part of my sigil is a dot, the orientation place where I begin, and then the arrow or the line or whatever I'm doing is going to come up from that. So that's that connection mm-hmm. down uh, so if we did the if we did the plus the plus might have an arrow that extends up and it might have um coming down into a dot and on the either side it might have the chevrons for communication mm-hmm. and then you might put a star over all of it to be have the oil in there you have your sigil so this is what i love about the book because you do that you slow down the process and you take you distill you help people simplify and distill and and come down to the place where like now my body is like yes you know mm-hmm. you said like the dot and it's like oh i can feel that i can feel the punctuation in my body of of something comes alive and something is going ding 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 and so i it, it's such a refreshing feeling as somebody who feels not terribly visually artistic. (laughs) So what do you say to people who really struggle with perfectionism or really struggle with maybe some low self-esteem around, you know, their own artistic expression? What are, what are the ways that you try to encourage folks to just try? Uh, I I take away their pencils. Especially if you have erasers, I have people like, well, but no, I don't have an eraser. The idea that you can erase, right? Uh, I say, get yourself a nice wild crafted pen, you know, a nice big <laughs> pen that you picked up from the bank or, you know, the pharmacy or whatever, and your piece of paper, and you start working out those concepts and you draw, and you're going to go at some point, especially, you know, the first time coming out, you might go, this sucks, you know, but you're doing it a pen, so then you're going to have to pick it up and try it again. And you start to see the progression. You know, maybe you're like, oh, the X isn't correct. It needs to be a plus or that line needs to go this way. And so you start to get into the, the trance-like state of drawing. Um, you're connecting mind, body, and spirit. All these things connect together and you're visualizing. So you, it's practice, but it's also not giving yourself the easy out. You know, so many people, especially if you're a perfectionist, you have to get messy. Mm. You, you have to make mistakes. Um, and perfection, perfection is more about prohibiting progress than it is about achieving anything. So you have to go, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. And if the only person who's not going to, who's going to know if it's not working, well, it's me. And I, it's up to me to figure out mm-hmm. what's going to work. So 
Then it comes into claiming your own power, which is not a, you know, not one exercise thing. That's a lifelong thing, especially in modern society, which is uh, magic. It doesn't exist and you have no power and you should just follow the rules. And so there's a lot of unprogramming that has to happen. Mm-hmm. But I find when you give yourself the room to, to make the mistakes, to see that you're not having bad ideas, you're just exploring, design is problem solving. Mm-hmm. So if you allow yourself the space to solve problems, you become more confident and you claim your power. Mm. Oh, I gotta tell you, Laura, that prohibiting progress and like I feel oh, like ow, that's an arrow that lands <laughs> kind of deep. It's like, oh, stop talking about me. No, that's a that that's that's excellent, simple advice. And like what a magical you just kind of cast a spell right there with, you know, use pen because it's not like you can undo anything really. You can't mm-hmm. really erase. And so why not just track progress over time? That's that's fantastic advice. Now, some of the sigils that you've created um, have become, I think you could, it's, it's fair to say viral on uh, social media. Um, you had, the, the way actually that I uh, discovered your work was through a sigil to protect uh, prost- protesters and those affected by ICE. What happened? How did that come into being? How did that sigil be you know, channeled through you? So I teach workshops on this. I travel all over. And uh, since about uh, 2015, 2016, mostly I was doing the workshops at conventions and festivals. Uh, you know, basic pagan event or, you know, witchy events. And you're like, okay, we're going to create a schedule for the event so that everyone stays healthy and have consent and, you know, all the things. They retain the knowledge, whatever it is. It's very themed to the event. But once you get out of a festival environment, you're dealing with smaller groups of people who are coming to a class at you know, a metaphysical shop, a cult shop, who all are coming from different backgrounds. It's not like they're coming for a festival, right? So it's an interesting mix of people. And in June of, I guess it was last year, <laughs> time is flying, mm-hmm. uh, I had a particular West Coast tour. And... On this, things just started shifting from, you know, oh, let's think about these, you know, bigger con- these con- you know, happy concepts as we went to the end of November 2016 to a different state of mind. Mm-hmm. And as the tour progressed, we went, we started in Billings, Montana, where we created a site-specific one to protect Billings against weather issues and fire. I didn't mm-hmm. release that one because that's really, that's for Billings and that's for those folks to deal with. But as we got down through the rest of the tour, we were getting very social justice, socially minded um, focus where people are like, well, this is what's going on in the news. What can we do about it? Mm-hmm. And so the, 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 the sigil to protect protesters and to defend against ICE happened in Portland, Oregon. And that was where the first ICE protest happened. Mm-hmm. And actually, we did this at um, the Raven's Wing, which is a quarter mile from where those protests were happening. Mm. So it was very much within the, the spirit of the place. And, you know, between that one and the burnout sigil and the community strength sigil and the housing crisis, you know, all of those things, I'm like, these are too big to just let them be, you know. And so it felt like, okay, we, we created as a group effort, which is a wonderful thing for shared magic that you have anywhere from eight to 50 people coming together to, to craft the sigil. Uh, and then being able to put those concepts out there, 
you know, explaining why it is instead of going, this is a sigil to do this. You know, it's very important that people read what the sigil's about and what goes into it so that they understand it and can identify with it. So that's how it happened. It's just the shift in the, the zeitgeist of, you know, what was going on in the culture and society and these site-specific places that are people are going, how do we solve these problems? Mm, that's, of course, I mean, I know that you're doing these at workshops and, and gatherings, but it's so beautiful to pause and just reflect like, oh, right, that was collective magic that was crafted by a group. About how many people were involved in that particular workshop? Uh, see, the Portland one, I think that was maybe eight or 10. It's kind of a small space. Mm-hmm. So but was- how beautiful. I feel like a lot of gratitude for them and for you putting this out into the world, such a needed thing and how special it seems like uh, something brought you all together at that moment for that purpose. That's really touching to know that. What about um, uh, the sigil for fires in the Amazon? I've, I've actually seen that one mostly written in Portuguese. And so I don't actually know what it means. Um, tell me about that one. So that sigil was particularly created for the folks who are running the We Are Radia kind of group, for lack of a better word, the chapter uh, that's happening down in Brazil. So they contacted me. This is long before the fires. They were facing a lot of um, political and social unrest. And they said, you know, we've been translating your sigils and sharing them because they're definitely um, applicable to what's going on here. Can can you create a sigil for us? I said, all right, well, why don't you all get together? If we can't really try to do this long distance, but you give me that list and you tell me why these things are important to you. And I will, in that same spirit, connect and put it together. And then... Once you know, the crisis happened with the, the fires, they said, okay, now we're going to, this is a new way to use this sigil. And so they put the ritual and the, the spell work together with that and released it. So it was kind of a sort of a, oh, look, it's, it's come back out uh, mm-hmm. into the world. Because uh, they can have different meetings like that. You think about um, sigils can grow and change. So they start off with like, okay, well, this is about protecting community and uh, you know, and our natural resources, well, then it's also very applicable to what's going on. Mm-hmm. What a, what a profound way uh, to use sigil magic for healing and um, processing of various kinds of trauma and injustices. And, and um, yeah, that just sounds like it, it really adds another layer of layer of depth, you know, moving away from kind of insta witch to right now, this can really be a, a, a profound ritual of healing. Yeah, and it, it makes it, it's another way too of, you know, obviously there are the mundane things that we can do to help any situation, which, you know, magic is never a band-aid. It's part of the process in order to help as an aid, right? It's a tool. So you can do all of the physical things, but sometimes you just feel like there isn't anything else you can do. You've you know, exhausted everything else. And so connecting with that sigil, and especially knowing that other people are connecting to it, uh, it it's like a, a march. You know, the, the protest marches are great, but not everybody has the ability or can get the time off to be in a giant group of people and feel that. But you can still do that from your home and feel the power connecting with all these people all over the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful point. So Laura, I'm curious, you've been 
involved in the the collective magic around some of the most um, painful and challenging social problems of our time in your work. When you bring it down, bring it home to you personally, how do you cope with grief and rage when you look at the state of the world? Uh, uh, this might be a, a bit of a uh, Sicilian Italian upbringing, but <laughs> I feel like the first thing I, I, I try to do is physically affect my environment, which means I clean. Mm. I try to put clean. things in order. I clean. I really put, clean your house. Mm-hmm. I clean the house, I mean, which is also a cleansing process. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be go out into the going out into the yard if I can. If the weather's good, to dig into the earth um, and make it. You know, I'm making sure I'm providing a habitat for the bees and the other animals and taking care of you know, the plants that are in my domain. But just even within the house, there's a sense of if you put your house in order, your desk in order then suddenly you feel like, all right, I have control over this. And then your sense of control and understanding expands from there. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's really, if it gets really, really stressful to the point where like, okay, I've cleaned, I've done all this. Then I, I whip out the big tools, <laughs> which is okay. Now some things are going to get set on fire. <laughs> you know, I might do, you know, it might get to the point of doing some ecstatic dance or calling some folks together to elevate that. But I find that usually just the cleaning, mm-hmm. you know, helps get you in the state of mind and helps alleviate that um, versus going in step one set things on fire. skipping right to to the arson yeah no I get it let's just like start by cleaning the bathroom yeah no I'm totally with you and I actually really appreciate that um because I do that too I go I start left to right in a room and I just start putting things in order and it does have a very settling effect on the nervous system but I also you know I can see how sigil craft is much like that. It's like, I want to put my thoughts in order and I want sort of the gestalt of how I feel. I want a synthesis and a distillation. And uh, so I want to thank you for making sigil uh, witchery so accessible to those of us who, who, you know, maybe feel like it's the domain of only the artists and the the inspired folks. I I really, I feel it's important that everybody be able to tap into their power. Like, especially these are the times that we live in. You've really done a service for a lot of us with your book. Thank you so much for sharing the additional insights today. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Well, I hope Laura inspired you to pick up a pen and play around with turning your intentions into portals of magical power. Maybe you'll create your own sigil, and if you do give it a try, post it on Instagram and tag us. Thanks so much to Laura for being on the show, and thanks also to our episode sponsor, Therese Kator, and her program, Embodied Manifestation. For links to each of their work, visit the show notes on my website, carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. And listener shout-out to all the folks joining us from Salem, Massachusetts, sending lots of love to the witches listening and working their healing magic in that land. And thank you, my friend, for listening. It, it does mean a lot to me that you choose to spend your time here with me. When you step into this field with me, it feels like you're blessing my life. So I really do appreciate that. And until next time, take care. <laughs>